I'd said I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And, you know, I'm getting the sense that if uh, no matter what happens in this war in Ukraine, I'm getting the sense that uh, we're not going to win. <laughs> I mean, the globalists are going to win, but the people are not winning. And... I think it's because I think that's where we're I think where we're heading is where the globalists have intended us to head all along. And they're pulling all the purse strings, they're pulling all the policy strings, and they're controlling just about everything that there is to control. And one way or the other, I mean, because they've been negotiating with with Russia and there's a lot of misinformation coming from the West. And there was a lot of fair warning about what was going to happen in Ukraine. And what Russia did was very predictable. So for the globalists to act like they're surprised at Russian aggression is just a smoke and mirror operation. It's just a, wow, Putin's worse than we actually thought he was. He's crazy, but he's not. He sees the bioweapons right off of Ukraine as an existential threat. He sees the right off, right off of Moscow as an existential threat. But more importantly, he sees the emergence of globalism, this one world order, this new world order. He sees this as the real threat to Russia. It's sort of like if you have an adversary, if you have a competitor in a market, and they merge together. You see, so you're the big heart. You're the big store. You know, you're the big store. You've been there the longest, and you you're pretty much in control of your town in terms of that whatever product it is that you're selling. And then another little store comes in. You say, "Well, that's that's a cute little store." Kind of makes me think of um, well. 
I was going to use a bad metaphor, actually. It's not probably accurate. But it kind of makes me think of, you know, a lot of things. But, you know, that store becomes part of a bigger store. And they get bought out. And next thing, because they're doing some really creative things. And next thing you know, uh, that store is now posing an existential threat to the store that was just riding high, sitting pretty, sitting in the catbird seat. And so that's the kind of thing that was going on. And now that store is becoming, you know, gaining in the market share, is becoming the more likable store. And in the case of globalism, I think that what happened was everything was going fine. The United States was in our lane, you know, just like uh, I said last week about um, the reason why Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor was one of the one of the many reasons, but one of the reasons was that they needed to expand their empire. They needed more resources. They needed more landmass. I mean, they're sitting on an island, and they didn't have enough resources, and they didn't want to be dependent on China and other countries because they were nemesis enemies of Japanese Japan. But they had Japan had a stronger military. They were more industrialized. They were more advanced. So they saw themselves as dominating. So they wanted to go into their neighboring countries, whether it's China, Mongolia, whoever, and basically get them before they be get you know become all, all too powerful. It was like a preemptive measure. And at some point, they decided the only thing that would stop us is the United States. So let's take out the Pacific Fleet. We bomb Pearl Harbor. Uh, because the United States isn't going to have the stomach for two wars. They're already looking east to Berlin and they're already looking east to Germany and they're already trying to figure you know, trying to figure out that mess, that quagmire, and get mire mire down in that quicksand. And so they saw Germany though prevailing. They didn't think that the United States had enough muscle to overcome the strong rhetoric of Hitler. And they never saw that playing out the way they did. So we became basically, uh, well, what they were envisioning is a three-tier world order where Japan, Japan would run the you know Asian area, United States would control the Americas, and Germany would rule Europe. And it would be a three-tier world order. That was the new world order back in the 40s. But that didn't happen. It didn't play out like that. And now we have a whole different kind of dynamic of war. It's not so much with bullets and bombs and and missiles as it is with social media, censorship, and a whole bunch of, you know, propaganda. But nevertheless, when they've been talking about a new world order, I think even George W. Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush, the the older, 41, I think he didn't even, when he uttered those words, a new world order, not a war of the jungle, I think he even under, uh, didn't, I don't think he could possibly understand the way the, the dynamics of the war and how it would play out in the age of big tech. 
But that they control. They control big tech. They control big media. Who controls the CNN? Who controls MSNBC? Who controls these gaslighters, these fake news merchants? Who controls them? BlackRock controls them. BlackRock controls big tech. BlackRock controls Silicon Valley. BlackRock controls everything. So when Larry Fink says, I want to control behavior, it's an eye-opening set of words that he put together there because he's the most powerful man in the world. One of the most powerful men in the world is Larry Fink, and he happens to want to control your behavior. At, at what level? Who knows? But Bill Gates is another very powerful man. And it used to be that the liberals would say the rich Republicans. And I don't know a rich, I don't know a rich, richer Republican than Bill Gates or Larry Fink or Steve Be- uh, Jeff Bezos or Tim Cook. Or Jack Dorsey, and Jack Dorsey, I know, doesn't run Twitter anymore, but, you know, all these big players that are radically left. Even Jeff Bezos' wife, ex-wife, he got divorced, and she she donated $450 million or something like that to liberal foundations, giving them all kinds of strength and muscle. But then you have these competing interests because you have Democrats and neocons selling out to the big interests. And remember when uh, Pompeo said, you know, you're on, we have lists that you're on. Governors in this room, he was talking to the governors. And he said, you're on this list. You're doing business with China and it's hurting national security. And Georgia was a good example of that where Kemp and his uh, cohorts were all doing business with China, selling out to China. And in turn, they were rigging elections. <clears throat> and they did it for money. The mainstream media will say things and do things and carry out the narrative as if they're a lobbyist group, as if they're a politician. See, it's not so much that you're writing a check to the politician, you're writing a check to either his foundation or a lobbying group. So it's laundered money. By the time it gets to a politician, the money's been laundered and laundered again. You know, what do you think Afghanistan is? It's a, it's a, it was a money laundering operation. What do you think these wars are, these endless wars? They're laundering operations. They've always been. And you know, it's not new news. It's not new news at all. And, you know, Julian Assange said it clearly in 2011. He said it. It was very easy in, for him to understand. <clears throat> and right here he is. Let's, let's take a listen to this. Completely subjugate Afghanistan. The goal is to use Afghanistan to wash money out of the tax bases of the United States, out of the tax bases of European countries, through Afghanistan, and back into the hands of a transnational security event. That is the goal, i.e. the goal is to have an endless war, not a successful war. Because the goal is not... 
Endless war, not not, not successful war. This applies to Ukraine as well. If you want to know where the corruption is, look at the conflicts. Look at the conflicts where they've been uh, supported by Lindsey Graham or John McCain or the Bush family and the Biden crime family and Russia. Russia is a bad actor, but the scourge of globalism is 10 times more powerful and 10 times worse than Mother Russia. And they're eating his lunch. And they talk about this new world order. So this was at the... uh, some world governing summit in 2020, you know, 2022 just happened. Let's take a listen to what these ladies have to say about the new world order. Order. The woman you're going to hear is a woman named Pippa Malmagrin. So it says here, we are on the brink of a dramatic change. We are about to abandon the tradition, the traditional systems of money and replace it with a new one, Digital Blockchain CBDC, which will give us greater clarity over every single transaction. Now that comes at the same time that they're cracking down. The World Economic Forum says cryptocurrency regulation. Where are we now and where are we going? So the idea here with regard to this cryptocurrency mess is that they want to destroy Bitcoin. They want to do away with Bitcoin. They want to control your money because we've already seen what they'll do with it. They'll freeze your accounts. If you're a protester, they will freeze your accounts. They will ruin you. Meanwhile, what are they doing with the money? Jim Jordan posted almost $250 billion in COVID relief has been lost or stolen. He had people on the committee uh, yesterday and the day before talking about what did you do with the COVID money? Well, that's still not being fully appropriated, but we're, we're having uh, consultants come in and we're learning. And what they're doing is they're doing exactly what President Trump said. They're bailing out the destruction of Black Lives Matter. All those cities that were destroyed need to be built back up. They're using COVID money. All those bailouts that Gavin Newsom needs because he keeps on spending more money than they have, they get it from the federal government. So people in Ohio and, and Mississippi have to pay for California's extravagance. It's absolutely insane that they're getting away with it. But they're getting away with it and they've been getting away with it. Let's take a listen to, again, Pippa Malmagrin, a globalist and in search of a new world order. Australian diplomat at one point about this. Well, it may be a bit late for that. Uh, I remember talking to an Australian diplomat at one point about this break between the U.S. and China and said, you know, both sides are going to say, whose team are you on? Mm -hmm. And he said, our job is to make sure the question never arises. But the question has arisen. And so I think we have to go deeper. And it's not about the U.S. versus China. It's about what underpins a world order is always the financial system. Uh, I was very privileged. My father was an advisor to Nixon when they came off the gold standard in 71. And so I was brought up with a kind of inside view of how very important the financial structure is to absolutely everything else. And what we're seeing in the world today, I think, is we are on the brink of a dramatic change where we are about to, and I'll say this boldly, 
We're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. And the new one, the new accounting, is what we call blockchain. It means digital. It means having an almost perfect record of every single transaction that happens in the economy, which will give us far greater clarity over what's going on. It also raises huge dangers in terms of the balance of power between states and citizens. In my opinion, we're going to need a digital constitution of human rights if we're going to have digital money. Uh, but also, this new money will be sovereign in nature. Most people think that digital money is crypto and private. But what I see are superpowers introducing digital currency. The Chinese were the first. The U.S. is on the brink, I think, of moving in the same direction. The Europeans have committed to that as well. And the question is, will that new system of digital money and digital accounting accommodate the competing needs of the citizens of all these locations so that every human being has a chance to have a better life? Because that's the only measure of whether a world order really serves. Yeah, but the people in control of the money and the system are the people that hate you, the people that want to freeze your accounts, the people that want to conform you, that want to control your behavior. You know, it all sounds good on the brochure, but what they want to do is meddle into every aspect of your life. And that's what seems to be happening. So, I want to get into this New World Order thing a little bit deeper because um, there seems to be a lot of uh, missteps, but they're not missteps. What's happening in, say, like, for example, there's a new escalation of attacks going on in Israel. So, uh, there's just a new attack in Israel. There's another attack in Yemen. Things are heating up in the Middle East, and they always seem to do this just before you have, you know, talks at the table. They're talking about JCPOA 2.0, basically more talks with Biden, the, the Team Biden. And, and it's part of the New World Order. People were asking about this, and they said, well, Russia doesn't want a New World Order. But Russia's going with a new world order. They are they're going to be pursuing a new world order as well, but their alliance is going to be with China. And I had said this last week, <clears throat> and I'll say it this week, that what seems to be happening is what seems to be happening is is that Biden is a willing participant that they've been working with Russia every step of the way in this conflict in Ukraine. And the conflict in Ukraine has everything to do with globalism. It's globalism. And he's threatened by globalism, like I talked about the store. His strength is diminished if the European Union and globalists gain any more strength. And they would do that if they were to bring Ukraine into the fold. And so they're saying, no, we can't have this. And we're going to go as far as to take Ukraine or at least a big chunk of it back. 
we want to control the Azon Sea, Sea of Azon, or the Black Sea. We want to control the shipping lanes. Uh, we want to control the oil. And so that's what's been going on there. But, you know, you have these problems with the emergence of globalism and Russia feels threatened by it. But then what you end up having is you have, you have uh, a new alliance. And I said last week that I think that Biden sees strength through bigger monopolies and more control. And the way you get that without even having to vote on it is if you push, and this is what they're talking about these days, and just realize that nothing's happening by chance. Everything is happening through determination, through intention. Even a chaos, even the chaos of war. You know, when Rahm Emanuel said, never let a good, uh, good crisis go to waste, you know, they looked at Afghanistan and said, how can we mess this up so that we can actually get refugees? Or how can we mess up border security that was going so perfectly under Trump? Oh, let's just open the borders and misappropriate COVID money and misappropriate all kinds of border funding and just give it to the small towns that are radically left and help politicians win elections in Texas. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're not spending the money on the wall. They're spending the money on consultants and manipulation and voting laws and all kinds of other stuff. But this whole concept of pushing and pressuring, you know, like they say last week that, or over the weekend, that Biden made a whole bunch of gaffes. You know, he said to the 82nd Airborne in Poland that, you know, you're going to be in Ukraine and you're going to be seeing women, you know, standing in front of tanks. That The Ukrainians are cor- courageous. See, he, he puts the icing on that cake. But it's, it's intentional. He's not, he's just reading a script. And as much as we'd like to say Biden is stone cold stupid, I think he's actually more stone cold radically evil and I don't think it's stupidity that's working there at all I think it's actually real evil if you look at the bride and crime family and what they were able to do how many lives have been lost how many careers have been buried as a result of his crack son's laptop you know how many people have had their houses broken into you know, we're going to play a clip here um, shortly about what our Department of Justice and January 6th and this kid that committed suicide uh, as a result of getting uh, sentenced uh, or being uh, put into a place where he was going to get a bigger sentence and said he just couldn't handle it and he checked out. But, you know, this whole thing about these gaffes you know, we're regime change. He's poking the eye of the Russian bear. He doesn't want a peace settlement, is what I'm saying to you. For months leading up to the invasion, uh, Russian aggression, Biden was saying there's nothing we can do. You know, tr- uh, Russia could move right in. Almost as if he was setting cheese on a mousetrap. 
and luring the mouse in, saying, there's nothing we can do. Please come in. I mean, there's nothing we can do to stop the mouse from eating the, the cheese. And it's a mouse trap. And so he's setting these traps for Putin. Putin, and I've been saying this for weeks and weeks, and if you recall, and I said, I think Putin's mistake is he's stepping into traps. They were going to try to pin nuclear, a nuclear explosion on Putin. They're going to try to pin chemical weapons on Putin because they got the biolabs. Basically, it's a huge laundering scheme and a cover-up of their crimes that have been going on in Ukraine for decades. And Lindsey Graham and John McCain and all these neocons were working with the military-industrial complex, procuring contracts on the black market, and making investors like Mitt Romney or or a lot of uh, other super rich people that hobnob with the senators, they were, they were guaranteeing a return on investment. And they put up seed money to get the ball rolling, get the, get the manufacturing going, and get the shipping going. They got friends who were senators, like Mitch McConnell, or um, even Crowley, the guy that w- lost his seat to Ocasio-Cortez. They own huge shipping companies. And it's done through the ports. And the senators who control the ports get elected. I'm telling you, it's so corrupt. But he's luring Putin in. Putin is like taking the bait. I think that Putin is probably going to outsmart Biden. Where Biden thinks that Putin's taking the bait, but Putin's actually going to get in and get out. Like going to Vegas and winning early and selling short. And basically getting out of town before you actually lose it all. I actually think that's kind of what's going to be going on there. That they are going to come up with a ceasefire. And Putin isn't going to get the whole enchilada, but he's going to get the enchilada that he wants. Donbass. He's going to get control of the Sea of Azon. He's going to get control of the Black Sea. He's going to, uh, basically they're talking about uh, not renegotiating Crimea for at least 15 years. You know, so there's a lot of stipulation, a lot of things on the table. And as they come in to pressure Kiev right now, uh, I think people like Zelensky are going to realize, hey, I got $1.2 billion in in an offshore account in Costa Rica uh, that I can live real happily with, thanks to the oligarchs who paid me off. And Zelensky's not going to want to Die on his sword. Neither are the Kalichko brothers, who were globalists making all kinds of money, selling out their country. You know, now they're fighting for it, but they were selling it out for the last 15 years. That's why you had all these oligarchs leaving with truckloads of cash. And they're like, where did that money come from? It came from the U.S. The U.S. gave them that money. Hunter Biden got that money. Burisma got that money. Kolomoisky, Pinchuk, all these different oligarchs got that money. So it's very corrupt. Mitt Romney totally invested in Ukraine. Mitt Romney was also totally invested in Afghanistan. You know, you just heard Julian Assange talking about Afghanistan. Guess who was in Afghanistan uh, years, five years before he gave that? 
when you just heard Julian Assange talk, that was 2011. Okay. In 2014, um, last night on Tucker Carlson, he played a Nigel Farage and had Nigel Farage on. And guess what? I played that clip last week. If you go to my Substack at scottadamshow.substack.com, go to March 23rd. Scroll down. You'll see I posted that in my show notes. And uh, it's, it's actually one of the tweets from there. And I posted that last week. So we've been right on the money on this. Uh, Tucker just found out about it yesterday. But in any case, I think that they're luring Putin in to come in and bite on that trap. And they want to get him because they want the globalists to win. But even if Putin were to win, the globalists are still going to end up stronger because Putin is going to align with China, and that's going to be one part of the New World Order. The New World Order isn't that China and and Russia and Iran are going to go broke and disappear. They're never going to disappear. They're too powerful to disappear. So what it is, is it's, it's not that they're going to vanish. So the New World Order is understanding the fact that they are going to thrive and exist. On their side, they're a formidable foe. They're an adversarial country. They're going to form their own alliance, and they can do whatever they want. But what it's going to do then is create this necessity for national security that we're more protected if we combine together. Like I was saying, those two stores combining to compete with the bigger store. Well, what we're doing is we're pushing Russia into a bigger alliance with China so that China is going to control Russia. China is going to be the pants, wearing the pants in that relationship. And Iran's going to be a little bit of a puppet in the Middle East uh, to supply the oil. Russia is going to supply the oil and China is going to benefit from this with their new currency, the yuan, the digital currency we just heard about. And we're, we're going to be dealing with that. And the EU is going to be like, well, now we're the smallest union in the land. So how do we get bigger and stronger and better and more formidable? How do we get bigger than them? And so then there's going to be this necessity. See, creating chaos, which creates necessity. It's all part of a strategy. It's all part of a plan. And you're going to hear rumblings about this American Union. Why? Because borders are senseless, right? We don't need borders. You know, if you were to ask about the border between, you know, you need a passport to go from Georgia to Alabama, you'd say, are you out of your mind? Well, that's exactly the kind of question that was asked before the European Union merged. In 2000, if you were to ask a Frenchman, um, you know, Germans can come into your country uh, is it okay for Ger- Germans to come into your country without a passport and a check, a checkpoint? They'd say, no, it's not okay. Now it is. The European Union made it so. They took away all the borders. So what's to say there isn't a border between, you know, um, the, called the Atlantic Ocean? So the American Union, guarantee that's going to be the next step. It's going to be called the American Union. And it's going to be Canada, 
Mexico, South America, Central America, and the United States of America. That's going to be the biggest, baddest union on the planet. A couple of monkey wrenches in that, though. Venezuela, Colombia, you know, a lot of Honduras, or El Salvador, a lot of these countries. But mainly like Venezuela and Cuba, right? Those would be little thorns in the side. But for the most part, that's what's going on there. So now you got the American Union, the European Union, and then you got the Russian China Iranian alliance. And that's a new world order. And I would not be surprised if the EU and the A, uh, the AU, the American Union, and the EU, the European Union, I would not be surprised if they merge together and create this super NATO alliance. This at the super UN United Nations, the Super World Economic Forum, and all this, that, and the other. And at the end of the day, what's going to happen there is you're going to lose your representation because a politician is going to be just nothing but a fractional crumb in the face of that kind of union. They're going to be powerless. Just like we've already realized, they could take down a sitting president like President Trump. They could censor a president. They can knock him off social media. They won't even do that to terrorists, but they'll do that to President Trump. Because President Trump was an existential threat. He did not play by the globalist rules. And that's that. And if you think globalism is good, let's take a listen to this segment about January 6th and the demise of and how they crushed this individual. Um, let's take a listen. 37-year-old Matthew Perna walked into the Capitol building through an open door on January 6, 2021. He didn't damage any property. He assaulted no one. When he learned the FBI was looking for him later, he turned himself in. Immediately, he was a law-abiding, patriotic man. The Biden administration then tried to destroy his life. They charged him with crimes that would have sent him to prison for many years. Many of his friends, some of his relatives even disowned him. And in the end, Matt Perna killed himself on February 25th of this year. One of the saddest stories to come out of January 6th, and there are many. Jerry Perna is his aunt, and she joins us tonight. Jerry, thanks so much Thank for you coming for having on. Me so this came to our attention when we read the obit uh, for your nephew that was so affecting, so moving, made me emotional uh, reading it. You were telling me off camera that the paper in which it ran tried to edit the obit? They did. They actually refused to print two lines of the obit. What, the, what were those lines? Well, the first line was um, Matthew was escorted into the Capitol by Capitol Police, which he had on his phone recorded. So you have video of that? Oh, we did until they yeah. confiscated everything. And then the second line was there are many people responsible for his death. And they refused to put either one. They said we had no proof of either. The newspapers? The newspaper did. So even in death, he was not allowed to tell his story? Exactly. Okay. So that kind of sums up the level of injustice that we're dealing with here. Um, what was the Justice Department trying to do to your nephew? Well, according to what his attorney told us, was a week before Matt's sentencing hearing on March the 3rd, um, his attorney told, Matt called his attorney, and his attorney said that um, they're going to delay the sentencing hearing again because they're looking to add additional infractions. And... Um, 
we weren't exactly sure what that meant. We thought, was that a charge? And they said, no, it's not a charge. They're just going to try to influence the judge at the very last minute. We found later that, that in, the enhancement, not infraction, enhancements, were actually going to add eight points to his scale, like he was at a 14, they were going to add eight points, and that would have bumped him up to 51 to 72 months in jail for a nonviolent crime of walking into the Capitol, not touching anything, not breaking anything, not stealing anything, and no altercations with police. Walking into the people's house. The and people's house. he was house. going to do more than four years in prison for that. Exactly. And um, we're not sure if Matt knew how many months were going to be added to his potential six to 12 months is what his attorney kept saying. Um, but that Friday evening, Matt hung himself in his garage. We knew he couldn't do a day in jail. He had already put himself in a mental prison for the last year, more than a year. He was afraid to leave, leave his home. They took away his income. They took away everything. He for lost For walking everything. into the Capitol. For walking And you're not leaving anything. I mean, we've looked into this. He, he was, no one even accused him of hurting anyone or breaking anything. No. No. Right. And he... He just couldn't handle it anymore. He was being persecuted and judged from every every angle. And um, we're talking about, let's talk about the people sitting in the jails in, in D.C. right now. They haven't even been convicted of a crime and they've been in jail for 14 months already. Where does this happen? So this is what Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and Nancy Pelosi are yes. doing. Did any, when, when he died, your nephew died, did any of them call you? No. As a matter of fact, Matthew Graves, who is the district attorney for the, or the U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, they took 14 days to drop the charges off of Matt. And still, we have not heard one one ounce of condolences or sympathy card or a phone call or anything, nothing. They just basically wrote, it, wrote, him, wrote him off. Hmm. So he was a Republican voter, obviously, no, no felony record that I'm aware of. No. You know, an upstanding, law-abiding, patriotic Never man. had a parking ticket. So he was driven to death by the Justice Department. Did Mitch McConnell call to, to offer his condolences? Absolutely not. No. No. Um, okay. So how do you feel about the leader's of the party that he voted for and supported who have completely well they completely abandoned him right so you see where that's going that's just incredible stuff right absolutely um but here's the thing i want to get to uh, i have a lot more things i want to get to and you know he this this interview here was followed up by matt gates and uh and so but i have uh, other clips from globalists the, the anti-Trudeau clips. I want you to hear this. This is just an incredible uh, clip against Trudeau. Again, another globalist, another politician destroying the lives of patriots like the Ottawa truckers. No different, really, than the January 6th protesters. Thank you. Based on Article 195, that it would have been more appropriate for Mr. Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, to address this House according to Article 144, an article which was specifically designed to debate violations of human rights, democracy, and the rule of law, which is clearly the case with Mr. Trudeau. Then again, a Prime Minister who openly admires the Chinese basic dictatorship who tramples on fundamental rights by persecuting and 
criminalizing his own citizens as terrorists just because they dared to stand up to his perverted concept of democracy should not be allowed to speak in this house at all. Mr. Trudeau, you are a disgrace for any democracy. Please spare us your presence. Mr. Trudeau, you are a disgrace for any democracy. Mr. Trudeau, please spare us your presence. Thank you. I love that. Um, I'm going to get through uh, a couple more of these. Uh, there's a there's a few more things I need to get through um, that I want to drive home. I've uh, started following a couple of different resources that have just been really enlightening on this new trajectory in uh, in um, in this in in the quest for this new world order. Uh, and I want to start with something that was written in February 11th by uh, Mark Dubowitz. And he says, with Putin set to invade Ukraine, your periodic reminder that Putin's representative has been dominating the Iran talks in Vienna with Mali and the Europeans following his lead. That should end well for U.S. interests. So there's a lot of U.S. interests going on here. And then Michael Arizani follows that up in February 11th, and he says, the Ukraine crisis has exposed another flow in President, a flaw in President Biden's Iran strategies. Washington is engaging with China and Russia as they have similar interests in terms of Iran, when the truth is that they have been working with Iran to undermine the American-led world order. And then he says, Russia's foreign minister claimed on Wednesday that China and Russia would work together to create a new world order. At the same time, Putin's spokesperson, spokesman states that it is irrelevant for Russia to negotiate on the Crimea Peninsula because it's his. He's not going to. It's irrelevant because it's it's it, they're not they're not wavering. Right. So. The Ukrainian crisis has exposed another flaw in President Biden's Iran strategies. So we're about to sign a JCPOA. We're going to get nothing in return as a result of that. But there's a new world order between Russia and China that's going on that's going to involve Russia and China. Again, I'm going to read this again. Russia's foreign minister claimed on Wednesday that China and Russia would work together to create a new world order. Okay, this is Lavrov saying this. At the same time, Putin's spokesperson states that it is irrelevant for Russia to even talk about Crimea because it's non-negotiable. And there's more. Let's see. Um, so he says here, this... Parisa Afezi, White House says Iran sanctions announced today will remain in place regardless of whether a nuclear deal is reached. Okay. Now, what does that mean? Well, Mark Dubowitz says these are meaningless measures in light of the massive sanctions relief coming soon to the clerical regime in Iran. And by that, he's talking about the way they're going to be able to sell their oil anywhere they want. And so the sanctions 
are going to be meaningless. If anything, it's to hurt political adversaries so that political adversaries can't do business in Iran. Uh, they can't do business in Iran and they can't, you know, in Iran that has money to spend. So it's all strategy to hurt your opponents as well. So there's just so much of this going on. There's also um, just a very interesting, the same, um, the very interesting thing with regard to the Justice Department. You've seen how they've attacked J6. Uh, they've also attacked Matt Gates. And Matt Gates, they never charged him with a crime, the crimes that they're accusing him of. So there's that. There's a big problem there. And then there's the Hunter Biden. You know, there's the laptop. So Matt Gates was talking about where's the laptop? And I want to see if I can get that clip. I posted it two days ago, actually. But it's a really good, good uh, exchange. And I'm hoping I get it. Um, and maybe I can. Well, I was trying. Oh, here it is. Okay, so, so I think I have it. Should have had this uh, lined up better. Um, but I didn't. So let's take a listen to this one here. This is the Biden's... Uh, Oh, uh, Office of Management and Budget Director admits the $1.9 billion in appropriated funds for the border wall is going towards community consult consultants. Now, this is something I talked about earlier. There was $1.9 billion that was in this most recent omnibus bill that's been carried over to finish the border wall. Is this administration going to finish the border wall? Just so we're clear. The $1.9 billion wasn't rescinded. New money was not provided. The administration had a policy asking Congress to rescind that funding. In 2021, Congress did not. But Congress did not provide additional money. And we are spending, as GAO has told this committee and others, uh, that OMB, the president, uh, the administration is acting uh, within the bounds of the Empowerment and Control Act, uh, and we are spending obligating prudently. So he, the, this administration just continues to withhold the $1.9 billion that was appropriated several Congresses ago that has stayed in the account? Thankfully, GAO has agreed that we are obligating prudently under the law. And what are you obligating it to? Because you're not doing any construction. So are you just paying people to hold the rusting materials? No, we're actually doing env environmental restoration, uh, something... Uh, that was woefully lacking. We're also doing community consultation. I think that's important to many of you who represent constituents. There you go. And uh, community outreach, you know, it's uh, crazy. Here's, here's Matt Gates uh, using that time to actually find the audio clip I wanted to find. Let's take a listen. Sir, I'm not here to talk about the laptop. I'm here to talk about the FBI cyber program. You are the assistant director of FBI cyber. I want to know where Hunter Biden's laptop is. Where is it? Sir, I don't know that answer. That is astonishing to me. Is, has, has FBI cyber assessed whether or not Hunter Biden's laptop could be a point of vulnerability, allowing America's enemies to hurt our country? Sir, the FBI cyber program is based off of what's codified in Title 18, or um, Title 18, Section 1030, a code which talks about 
computer intrusions, right, using nefarious intent. Network well, you've talked about passwords here. I mean, Hunter Biden's password on his laptop was Hunter02. He drops it off at a repair store. I'm holding the receipt from Max Computer Repair, where in December 2019, they turned over this laptop to the FBI. And what now you're telling me right here is that as the assistant director of FBI Cyber, you don't know where this is after it was turned over to you three years ago. Yes, sir, that's an accurate statement. How are Americans supposed to trust that you can protect us from the next colonial pipeline if it seems that you can't locate a laptop that was given to you three years ago from the first family, potentially creating vulnerabilities for our country? Sir, it's, it's not in the purview of my investigative responsibilities. But, but that is shocking that, that you wouldn't, as the assistant director of cyber, know whether or not there are international business deals, kickbacks, shakedowns that are on this laptop that would make the first family suspect to, to some sort of compromise. Mr. Assistant Director, have you assessed whether or not the first family is compromised as a result of the Hunter Biden laptop? Sir, as a representative of the FBI cyber program, it is not in the realm of my responsibilities to deal with the questions that you're asking me. Ha has anyone at FBI cyber been asked to make assessments whether or not the laptop creates a point of vulnerability? Sir, we have multiple lines of investigative responsibility in the FBI. They're all available in public source. Well, I would think you'd know this one. I mean, I would think that if the president's son, who does international business deals, referencing the now president with the Chinese, with Ukrainians, I mean, have you assessed whether or not the Hunter Biden laptop gives Russia the ability to harm our country? Sir, again... We can do this back and forth for the next couple of minutes. I don't have any information about the Hunter Biden laptop or the investigation. But should you? I mean, you're the assistant director of FBI Cyber. By, my, by the block and line chart? No, sir, I should not. Who should, who should we put in that chair to ask questions about this laptop that FBI has had for three years? Sir, I'm not, I'm, I'm not in a position to make a recommendation who should say. So you don't have it. You don't know who has it. You don't know where it is. You're the assistant director. You know, earlier you talked about whether or not you were the Grant Hill or the Christian Leitner. It sounds like you're the Chris Weber trying to call a timeout when you don't have one. So I mean, who is it? Do you even know who has it? Do you know who we should put in that chair to ask these questions to? No, sir, I don't know who has it. Well, it, could you find out and tell us? You're going to have to give us briefings, thanks to Mr. Liu and Mr. Massey's question, about whether or not the FBI was taking a $5 million test drive on the Pegasus system that was being used to target people in politics, people in government, people in the media, people in American life. So will you commit to give us a briefing as the assistant director of FBI Cyber as to where the laptop is, whether or not it's a point of vulnerability, whether or not the American people should wonder whether or not the first family is compromised? Sir, I'd be happy to take your request back to our office. Gosh, I mean, will you advocate for that briefing? As in, you, you will? I will be happy to take your request back to the FBI headquarters. Unbelievable, well, right? Will you, person, do you believe that, that This person works for you. This person, you're paying this person's salary. Let's take a listen to Jeff Jordan on the same day. The story was false. They or told Jim, us it was Jim Russian Jordan. disinformation. The disinformation is what they told us. Something we need to check out. How did 51 of them in the days before a presidential election tell us a story that the New York Times has now said was absolutely true. The laptop was true. The eyewitness was real. And the emails and evidence and documents 
were real as well. So I look forward to today's hearing, hearing from our witness. But I think a fundamental question we've got to ask is, how do you trust the Department of Justice to protect us from cyber attacks when they've been spying on presidential campaigns, spying on parents, telling us Hunter Biden was Russian disinformation and releasing the most notorious Russian cyber criminal we've ever had? Simple question I'm going to have for our witnesses. Why did we let him go? What did we get for that? What did we get? And so, you know, the idea is this. I, I play those clips. And the reason why I play those audio clips is, is to just illustrate how ridiculous, how ridiculous our Department of Justice is, our FBI. You know, when we think about Las Vegas shooting, or when we think about the Pulse nightclub, and we think about all these other things, we think about Roger Stone's door getting broken down, or Paul Manafort, and... You know, all these different attacks on President Trump and the Russian hoax. And yet we live amongst these liberals that vote for this crap, this nonsense. It's absolutely stunning. And we're living in a world where the criminals are getting away with murder and the patriots are getting arrested for speeding and jaywalking. You know, it's no world to live in. This is not America. We have lost our moral compass. We've lost our way. And that's, that's the sad truth. And we see it on display. You know, we see it on display at the Oscars, for example. You know, ask yourself this question. How would it, do you think it would be different uh, at the Oscars if, if uh, Ben Affleck were to go up and slap Jerry Seinfeld on the face? What do you think would happen then? I'm telling you, this, this basing everything on race and religion and gender and this whole thing that's going on with Disney and the non-binary and all this crap where they were trying to indoctrinate your children and taking away power from the parents, I'm telling you, it's a huge, huge Achilles heel for the Democrats. And, you know, it helped Youngkin beat McAuliffe in Virginia. I'm telling you, it's a winning strategy. People were talking about it in D.C., Parents, when you mess with that, that's the third rail of politics now. I don't know what the third rail was before, but it was definitely this. So we have to start asking some better questions in Washington. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Scott Adams Show. And be sure to check out my Substack over at Substack, uh, scottadamshow.substack.com. We're going to be putting up the paywall uh, on April 1st, and before that, though, if you can get your subscription in, you'll have automatic inclusion into the pay area, the premium area, until the end of the year, and that'll be that. Use uh, Red State over at MyPillow.com, and be sure to check out MagaPack.org and make a donation. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. 